Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Catholic Singles. Every day, hundreds of Catholic singles join CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. Breadbox Media listeners get 20% off by using the promo code BREADBOX when they register. Come be our next success story at CatholicSingles.com. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com. Dot app slash breadbox. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen. How are you doing, Father? Doing well, Alana. Having a good time. Uh, if you're wondering why I'm missing my glasses, my dog ate the glasses this week, just about a couple hours ago. I was taking a nap. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow is getting new glasses. Um, so luckily, I can still drive without them, but... But, but, you know, so I want to get in this week while she's like, uh, sharing and letting everybody know that we're live is, um, you know, one of the things I got really ticked off last year around this time of year was Ash Wednesday. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, we're kind of, we've become wimps in the Catholic Church. I think that's what I'm going to start my, my homily with um, this Sunday. I'm trying to figure out like the best like first line. I think my first line is going to be, we've become a lot of wimps. Like, you know, we have to fast twice a year. Um, on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and we, we really, when we say fast, it's kind of a, it's pretty weak fast, and then we complain up a storm about it, and, and it's like, man, we got, we got to do better. We got, we got to, we got to dig, we got to dig deeper than that. Um, I mean, and that's what I'm going to be talking about this Sunday, man. If you're, if you're just doing the bare minimum, like, Jesus fasted for 40 days, and when, and when, I mean, it's like, it's like I talk about with people with uh with prayer like if you think that when jesus says to pray without ceasing or when they talk about prayer that it's just saying our fathers and Hail marys over and over again or saying devotions like man we we got we got to have a longer conversation <laughs> same thing with fasting like if, if you think that all that's talked about with fasting and the importance of fasting is just missing one meal like twice a year no man this, this, this one's bad we got to bring we got to we got to and I, i'm trying not to get fired up right now i'm gonna get fired up this weekend because i'm just it's we i'm sick of the, the 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 wimpy catholicism like well don't go too hard and even that's people's reaction like if i told you i was doing a seven-day cleanse for like health reasons you'd be like oh wow that's wonderful 
if I tell you I'm doing it for spiritual, oh, whoa, don't be a fanatic, you know? Yeah. Come on, man. Um, I think, I think it's harder when I fast all the time. So, and not because I'm holier than anybody, but I have a lot of food issues. So I fast a lot and I, and I offer it up and it's been great for my prayer life. But when it comes to Lent, I'm like, oh no, now what am I going to get? <laughs> now what am I going to fast from? And just yeah. maybe fast more, but yeah, definitely don't be a whip. Like, don't be a whip. Fast. And but that's what get, get, tying it in with today's gospel is, you know, we're called to love our enemies this isn't like, the, and I'm going to unpack this as we get into the gospel. This isn't like just feel warm fuzzies all the time. Like maximize your warm fuzzies towards everybody, you know, give good vibes and, and just, you know, keep it cool and keep it good vibes and everything's going to be okay. Now this is like in the midst of suffering, like when, when somebody's persecuting you, when they're, like, they're nailing you to a cross, when they're like torturing you, like, can you dig deep, even though you don't feel good, you don't, you don't feel warm fuzzies and can you choose what's good, true and beautiful? That's the kind of love we're talking about. It's that will the good of another, even when all is desolate when, and that's, that's part of the tide with the fasting is you got to encounter the depths of, of your own wretchedness. The fact there's so much chaos within, there's so much weakness within and you have to let God into that. Right. Yeah. And, and it's really the freedom that comes through self-discipline the freedom for right action that we really don't understand because we're too weak in the self-discipline and not really allowing ourselves to feel hunger, you know, and not really allowing ourselves to feel what it, and offer that that up, right? It's not just starve. We're not saying starve yourself, you know, it's really about allowing your body to feel these things and sitting like what what you say the sweet spot of suffering like sitting in that and really being able to control your passions the passion for hunger the passion you know for for things in a way that's rightly ordered so and and the paradox is is you come to self-mastery because you realize you can't control in a certain sense there's kind of an interior surrender that has to take place which that's often when you're when you're when you're well rested and you feel, and actually, the, traditionally, fasting is also tied with vigils, which is denying yourself sleep. Um, which I would, lo- I would love to see a, re- a return of a little bit of that as well. And the idea is that when you're hungry and tired, it breaks down your defenses. It, and your your will is not able to fend off in the negativity. It's like it, your will has to be strengthened. It has to deepen. Mm. But, but it's also it's almost like I would say it's paradoxical. It's like. Um, you can keep at bay the demons or not because you, you'll still might be falling into sin. You can keep at bay everything that you're trying to avoid when you keep yourself busy and you keep yourself well fed and you're constantly pleasing your senses. But when you strip away all that support and you suddenly have more time and you're hungry, all that tired, tired, like you're, you can't avoid it. Right. Um, and and, and it's easier to sin in that way, right? If you're hangry, you know, and you're well, and you're overtired, and then it's easier if you're not used to really controlling that. You're it's easier for you to. I would say if it's unintentional, yes. But when it's unintentional, when you know it's coming, I think actually it does help a lot more. It's like it's, I mean, it's my whole philosophy: give yourself a bad day. Now, none of this is written. 
I've never heard of this written down, but it's kind of been my own experience, which is, it, you know, going back to remember the soccer ball analogy, like if the soccer ball hits you, it's worse than if you hit the soccer ball. Did I tell you about yeah. that? Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, there's something about it though. Like when you grab the bull by the horns and you go like, I'm going to give myself one of the worst days I've had in a long time or the worst few days. It's, yeah. it's, it, you see it coming. You're, you're hitting the ball. Right. Um, and, yeah. and I think maybe saying you're going to give yourself one of the worst days. I don't know if that's probably very accurate because I think the worst days are the ones that you don't see coming. Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. my opinion. Well, I mean, are the things you dread the most, like being uncomfortable or whatever? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. No, no. I mean, yeah. definitely the worst days are like personal tragedies and things like that. Yes. That's exactly what I was thinking about. And have a friend dealing with that. It's really rough. Um, but let's, yeah. uh, let's get into the readings. Because first re- reading is from Leviticus, which we don't get very often. So Yeah. <clears throat> All right. From the book of Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the whole Israelite community and tell them, be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You shall not bear hatred for your brother or sister in your heart. Though you may have to rep- reprove your fellow citizen, do not incur sin because of him. Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against any of your people. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, so this is two, this is a few verses from both ends of one chapter, of chapter 19. Um, So in between is a bunch of things that you shall not do. um, Basic, normal things that normal people would say like, okay, I agree with, you know, don't cheat other people. Don't, you know, it's a lot of list of thou shalt nots. Um, but these, these two are be holy for the Lord, your God, I am holy and love your neighbor as yourself is, you know, is really what Christ brought forward as, as two really important things, uh, you know, commands. So that's, I think we're, what we're going to pull from this reading today. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is not, um, not going into anger or not committing sin because of other people's faults. So, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think how to, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about. So there's, so in Leviticus, this whole idea of being set apart um, for worship. So that's a, that's a key part of Leviticus is offer proper worship, mm-hmm. um, which even Jesus alluded to in last week's gospel. If you have a, if you have a problem with your brother, set aside your gift. There's something about that. One just to, and talk about that, that so, so in a certain sense, building on Leviticus, interior harmony is to lead us to the gift of self and worship, which is something that often there is something to be said for praying the mass well and entering into the mass well, um, which I think sometimes we don't like um, we don't give enough attention to. I mean, obviously, don't give enough attention to on Sunday because I think right now there's a real push among Catholic um, like speakers to to emphasize the the what you might call the unconditional love of God that he, God loves you the way you are and that He's just pleased with you know He's pleased with you the way you are and just resting in that mm-hmm. and there's a there's truth in that that's not like completely false but there is something about like I. And I know people, I, I could hear the older priests right now, if they heard my preaching, they'd be like, this sounds very Pelagian. 
really not Pelagian. I would, but like my thing is, is like dig deep and put some more effort in. And I think even with mass, like you have, you have all of Sunday ideally to prepare for mass. I mean, you should be preparing for mass hours before hours after. And I, and I know we're not even close to that. Um, I think some people are, but not a lot of people aren't even close to that um, reality. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, and I don't think, cause I don't think most people feel particularly worried about like coming into mass, being mad at somebody or being frustrated or. But being okay. So tying this into the reading, yeah, tying it into not allowing other people's sins to make, to draw you into sin. So not being scandalized that also leads to in mass. If other people aren't prepared or other people aren't well, that too acting the way they should, that should not lead you into sin in your own heart. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and I feel like the, there is a, there is a, a, you know, group of people or, you know, a attitude that, mm-hmm. that really is like looking at other people and seeing what other people are doing and getting really upset internally about what other people are doing. And sometimes it's valid. Um, but I really, sometimes that's what I think of at mass. I'm like, am I doing something that I would, that I'm irritating other people? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. like but I'm not, where, I shouldn't be thinking that I should be focused. And I agree no? with everything you said. The only thing I think it's been, the way it's been formulated by a lot of people is you shouldn't be judgmental or you shouldn't be. And what I would, I would argue I would take it a little bit deeper. I would say, are you entering into contemplation? Right. Like, is your experience of the mass tied with contemplation? Now, if you have small little kids, I can even understand that. But even with the small little kids, there should be a flow to it. And if there's not a flow to it, then you're not preparing enough. Like, think about this. Michael Jordan gets into the zone when he plays basketball, right? He has a whole team trying to disrupt his his like disrupt his flow, right? So if Michael Jordan can keep his crap together when everybody's trying to take him out of his flow, you got to have that same mentality. I, I don't know. I just thought of that. It makes sense. Like, like not, yeah, I understand that it gets really frustrating when like there are things that happen that really distract from, exactly. from mass or from what you're trying to pay attention to. But also if we train ourselves, if we prepare ourselves and we are, we can better handle these random things that come at us, yeah. you know, and, and be able to respond to them charitably in love and not ourselves sin because of it. So, yeah. and that's kind of where it's, even well, then, well, if you notice I, things, it, but like actually bringing yourself to sin through. Well, and me- Meditating things. on it, the difference is it's not a movie. It's more like a sports game where you have a whole team trying to ruin your mass for you. Like, and it's yeah. demons, it's, you know. Right. And, and some of that other team is not, you know, trying to, it just happens. <laughs> you know, it's like kids don't necessarily try to ruin mass, you know, but they're kids. And sometimes they make noises and sometimes they say cute things at weird times. And, you know, like, yeah. I, I love hearing the crazy stories of, like, you know, it's like consecration and a little kid's like, hi, Jesus, you know, I'm like, I love those stories, you know, but for some people, that's upsetting. And, um, you gotta keep, you gotta just, keep your head, but that's the thing yeah. is if you approach it, like, you know, if you approach it, try to approach it the way you would a game, like, I gotta keep my concentration, yeah. gotta keep my game face. Yeah, focus um, and, and um, redirect your own children, like it says, like, you have to, re- you have to, no. you know, really teach, teach your children and teach the people around you by your own behavior, 
you know, how to do this. Well, you know, the and, best thing is a priest. So what I found, I've actually found the key to reforming the liturgy in a parish. I think I'm the only person who said this and believes this. I don't have to tell people what to do as much if I can consistently focus on what I'm doing. Like, you'd be surprised how much I've seen it with every assignment. I hardly ever talk about liturgy. And you, even on this, you know, you know me, I'm not one to talk about liturgy a lot. But I do have a, a, a high standard of what I want for liturgy. And a lot of it is just if I can keep myself routinely in the zone where I'm not noticing things, they do tend to fall away, you know? Um, so not bringing attention to certain things as, all, as yeah. long as, as long as there doesn't need to be actual like teaching of people. Like, yeah. I mean, the only time, one time I had like a little kid who was running behind the altar and I paused for a second. I said, um, ma'am, can you grab your kid? <laughs> this is Hispanic mass. And then at the end I said, look, I love your children, but you know, you gotta, um, you gotta, you gotta like take care of them a little bit. Yeah. Um, Just not behind the altar. <laughs> not behind the altar and like running up and down the aisle. Um, but, um, so, but yeah, no, I mean, but that's, that was like very rarely. And I mean, it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, that definitely just broke my concentration. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, but it is really interesting. Well, it's a, it's that leadership, but that's probably also the same with your kids that like, if you can, there's, there's a flow that you have to establish and a kind of authority. I mean, I knew it, I knew it as a teacher, you know, cause it's, 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 it's even weird now. Cause like when I was 23, 24 and I'd be in the classroom, they could just sense that I wasn't like, I didn't have an authority. But as you get older, man, like especially now at Catholic schools, I walk into a classroom. I, I mean, I just look at them and they stop doing whatever they're doing. <laughs> yeah, we have a collar now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have a little bit more authority. <laughs> I do. I learned something crazy. But no, I mean, I mean, I've had I, yeah with Catholic schools. Catholic schools are also the easiest. Public schools are the ones that are, are tough yeah, to do right. classroom yeah. management. But um, but I, I like that um because it. I think you were just saying the same thing, just in a different way of, you know, like reform yourself, like work on yourself and the, and the things around you will kind of fall in place, you know, like focus yeah. on God and everything else will, you know, put God first, everything else will fall into place in the order it should. So I think that's kind of what you're, where you're going. Well, and you know, the bad news is for everybody is all of your problems in your life have one common factor, right? Yeah, maybe. You. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, yeah. I mean, but it's, it, you know, and that's where you got to start. And well, that's like, even as a leader, um, it took about three years at ECU Newman, but I would say, honestly, right now, whenever I encounter something that goes wrong at ECU Newman this past, especially this past like three or four months, it definitely, it's definitely tied with my own personality. Just mm -hmm. like, just, just the way I am. Like, it's, it's just like, you're kind of like, ah, yeah. Like I brought this on myself a little bit. My bad. <laughs> but it's not just, it's all me. Cause I mean, I'm having to train other people, but it's, you set a tone as a leader and yeah. that, and that filters down. And so, I mean, when you're looking at your kids and you're looking at their strengths and their weaknesses, guess what? It's tied with you and your spouse, you know? Oh my gosh. Kids are like mirrors. Yeah. They're like mirrors of yourself. And sometimes it's not a pretty mirror. Sometimes you're like, I do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or like, that's you. That's, you, know, you look at your spouse and you're like, that's you. <laughs> you do that. So, but I mean, they're great mirrors, but also it's kind of a, 
yeah. un, you know, unasked for reflection of like stuff that you didn't necessarily like see in yourself. And you're like, Oh, maybe I need to change that because yeah. they're repeating things, you know, but, but it's a leadership <laughs> culture. And I would say the biggest thing is the irony is, is if you're a leader or if you're ahead of a household or you're ahead of an organization or, or just have some kind of influence, negativity is always a bad way to go about things. So for some reason, I, I, when people think that the more you point out faults, the more negative you can be. But I think it's, 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 it's a strange caveat because if you can point out other people's faults and you're really clever about it, you could be like a news person or news personality, or you could be like a writer or a scholar or something like that, right? So it's good for those jobs. But ironically, those are the people, the last people that actually get things done, right? Like no news reporter has ever led a, a billion dollar corporation. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. Or led, or led soldiers into war or, you know, NPR has never led like an army brigade into combat or something, you know, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd probably be a bad idea to have the NPR reporters lead the That'd army. be terrifying. <laughs> but, um, but, but the thing is, is, but uh, critique doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't change an organization paradoxically. Cause you'd think if you just point people's faults out, they'll change. Yeah. That's I think that's like the entire story of the old Testament. <laughs> God being yeah. like, no, do this. These are the laws. You keep breaking the laws. Like these are all the laws that you're breaking. You know, until we received the grace of Christ, then we yeah. had the ability to live a life, you know, of grace and, and to be able to really internally change and follow the law. Right. Yeah. So and there's still kind of an ebb and a flow in the church, right? Right. Yeah. Similar to the Old Testament, prosperity. Have you ever seen that that the graph? Um, good times produce weak men. Mm-hmm. Weak yep. men. Oh, how? How? Well, what's it go? It's like four steps. Strong men beca- produce good times. Good times produce weak men. Weak men produce bad, bad times. times. Bad times produce good, strong men. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> So we need some strong men, you know, <laughs> and some strong laity and some strong priests and uh, there you go. To really, to really, you know, make it through. And I, and I really f- can feel, I mean, I feel the grace that that's coming down. You know, we have access to this grace and it's, we are able to do this. We just have to believe that Christ wants to do this through us, you know, and be these leaders that are, that are needed for our time. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny you're saying this. I almost like want to cry at the simplicity. A friend of mine who's the pastor down the street, it is, it is incredibly simple to lead a parish. Like if you heard the things that like he's doing that are considered revolutionary, you'd be like, because oh. <laughs> it's simple. It's simple. Like listening to people before you make decisions. Um, getting input from many people from different sides Mm-hmm. You know, having yeah. goals that you're working towards. Yeah. Like, well, and it, you'd be surprised a lot of parishes it. don't do that. Like, do yeah. you guys? <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a lot of energy going towards little things Yeah, that don't produce much fruit. And that's a huge problem. And people are, I mean, like there's movements, there's people trying to work on like, what do you do? How do you do it? How do you evangelize? So there's more people working but really, the most fruit you will get will will be even from the smallest energy spent through Christ's grace. 
right? Like mm-hmm. if you if you discern God's will and you work in in that, that then that's where the fruit will come. Yeah. Not all of the energy doing all of the little thing, all of like the, all of these things. It really needs to be focused. Yeah, you know, and discerned. You'd be um, surprised, but you'd be surprised just how easy it is. And he's not like an old, he's not like an old experienced guy. He just, he comes from a background where he learned a little bit of business and management. Mm-hmm. He's like, I think he's like yeah. 30, 20, 20. Yeah. Goals are important. And then cause yeah. people know what they're working towards. They yeah. Have, like they have little things like having goal. his employees write job descriptions. Yeah. They, they don't have well, job. People don't have jobs. Parents yes. Have That's what I'm saying. There is like, there you'd be like, okay, you'd be wow. flabbergasted. Like, you know, having evaluations, like where you tell your employees you're doing a good job, revolutionary within the church right now. <laughs> really? People okay. don't do that. Okay. So that's what I'm saying is like when people yeah. talk about the new evangelization, like they're like, well, why aren't people coming? It's like, you'd be surprised how much low hanging fruit there is. Like just basic organization, you know? have a job description. I know of one parish where this person worked for like two years and they were making a good salary and nobody knew what they were doing. Like it's not clear that they actually did anything outside of the person did the bulletin, which should take like a half hour. When I was, when I was parish coordinator, I had like a, we had a contract cause it's military. So they, you have to have, yeah, yeah, the <laughs> so I'm just like, really? Cause it's like outside of my world. Um, but I was doing things that were normal, normal parish coordinator things, but they had forgotten to put them in my contract. So yeah. when I left, I revised the contract and yeah. made sure that the people were compensated. That's for like, revo- that would be like revolutionary within most dioceses that like you would do that. Like, well, I mean, you know, it's a hash for me, I guess, but you know, but it was like, okay. That is military. That is military background. Yeah. yeah. Which maybe we, we need some military, you know, in the, in the lifeblood of the my church. Sister says that all the time. <laughs> I'm saying I mean, that's, that's, he was a military leader. Right. I mean, so. wasn't very high up, but yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to, I have two comments and then we need to work on the second, second reading before we run out of time. Um, But good discussion so far. All right. Father Vitalis says, glad that you guys made it today. I personally missed the session last week. Thank you, Father. Thanks. And he also says, God loves us the way we are, but we should be open to be transformed into who he made us to be. Yes. Amen. 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 Um, Yes. I totally agree. Like he loves us perfectly and you know, we need to return that love more perfectly. So let's go into the second reading from first Corinthians brothers and sisters. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for the temple of God, which you are is holy. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool, so as to become wise. For wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. For it is written, God catches the wise in their own ruses. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are in vain. Let no one boast about human beings, for everything belongs to you. 
Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all belong to you and you to Christ and Christ to God. Mm. Okay, so in First Corinthians, there's they're really going over um Paul's really talking about like they were having an argument in in inner area, church area, the uh, Corinth, are talking about like who they were baptized under, Paul or Apollo or Apollos or Cephas, Cephas or whatever, Peter. And he's really talking about, the last part here is that it's not about we be, us having our identity and who we were baptized by, but we, or that we belong necessarily to those apostles, that, that the apostles really belong, the, the ministers of the church belong to the people. And the people belong to Christ, and the Christ belongs to God. And, and really, we are to find, because people were struggling with their identity, and especially, and it ties back to the, the being identified with the temple, but really finding and placing their identity in Christ and not in the apostles that baptized them and brought them Christ. Um, so I think that really has to do a lot, especially when we're talking about to love to love one another as yourself is also to like make sure that you see rightly where where you are compare you know in in this comparison of like identity and and who we see ourselves as how do we love ourselves so that we can love our brothers we need to understand ourselves as as one body as the temple which was you know like one of the reasons that Christ was crucified because he he like referred to himself as the temple yeah so and that, that he is the head and we are the body and that the spirit dwells in us. So he's talking to them like, do you not know that this is, that you are the spirit, that the spirit dwells in you? Sorry, that you are not the spirit, that the spirit dwells in you. So that's yeah, Absolutely. I think there is definitely a sense of identity. And um, also I think the, the, one of the things I want to, well, so with identity, um, that is a challenge is, what I've come to believe is that everybody has a subconscious ideal that they hold before their gaze, um, an ideal in their mind of what is perfection. Um, what does it mean to be a good Catholic? What does it mean? And really I think the first problem is that often this is subconscious. So like right now, a lot of people really do judge things along kind of party lines. Um, you know, if a priest is traditional, or priest is liberal or, and, and there, and, and, I, and I, I'm right now with the public discourse, I find that most of it, is, it feels like a lot of times it's more posturing. Like you have to use the correct code language mm-hmm. to say like, cause when all is said and done 90% of the time, somebody's just giving code that I'm a liberal and here's liberal views or I'm a tratty and here's tratty mm-hmm. views. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes they'll try to like mingle up the language a little bit, but there's a lot of, coded language right so it's like if you if you want to say that you're liberal and you don't want conservative views you claim dialogue right so we don't need doctrine we need dialogue not dialogue with people who disagree with you but kind of dialogue with folks who agree with you yeah it's like talking without doctrine which is insane but yeah um, but but, but you get this in some of the public disc like the the, like you know somebody will say there's, but and the thing is, is that it's so politicized because dialogue necessarily isn't a bad thing. 
Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. But the, the, the big thing is, though, a lot of times I would say is, is that people, they have their ideal, which doesn't necessarily line up with the scriptures on, on both sides, right? So what exactly is the ideal of the spiritual life? There's an element of mystery, which I'll come back to in a second. But there's also um, the Beatitudes, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It, it's this mysterious element of fulfillment. And so the, the kind of disciplines, the exteriors are not completely insignificant, but they have to lead to the interior. And unfortunately, I think right now, I'd be curious how often Michael Voris and like church militant and um, Dr. Taylor Marshall talk about contemplation. I, I'd actually be curious if they ever talk about contemplation or stillness or um, mm -hmm. I, I'd be curious. I, I, I almost want to review some of their work. Well, just in general, it's, it's not like the concept of like orienting your heart towards contemplation is not something that's, that's a, a, a big, I mean, I don't even know, understand right now how to understand theology outs, apart from it. That's just the, but that's been a bit of my obsession the past yeah. 10 years. But I think but I think what you're talking about really does tie into this reading because it's about who do you follow? Yeah. You know, it's really about this kind of tribal mentality of like, well, I drive my identity by following these people, whether yeah. on YouTube or on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, or their podcasts, you know, or I or these people over here, you know, they people who follow James Martin or whatever. But, and this, but this is the radical part about it. This is the part where he talks about being a fool for Christ. The deeper principle is not something that I can just describe in a book. The, the, the work of mystical union is a, a death to self. It's a surrender that has to happen in a way that only you can experience. So I was just talking about this this past weekend. I can't describe it for you. I can't I, I can't exteriorize it for you. You have to make the journey into the heart. You have to die to self. You have to encounter Christ. And, and in relation to that, it's the same way we were just talking about earlier about having facing the soccer ball head on, like yeah. facing being a fool for Christ head on versus being made a fool to be, you know what I mean? Like yeah. being humbled in a way that you weren't expecting yeah, you know what I mean? Like there's two different options. Like there's the ability to humble oneself to yeah. be able to, to become wise in Christ. But then there's also like, we have also have the ability to be humbled embarrassingly, you know what I mean? In, in order to really like get into that contemplation, maybe to strip ourselves of like who we follow in this, yeah. you know, modern time you know, that we're really struggling with, with like, there's so much information, but like people are still struggling to find the truth. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and how do we interpret these things and how do we see the world around us? And even just in the Catholic world, you know, and like, sometimes we need to like strip ourselves of these things and just focus on the mass and contemplation and, and scriptures and really, you know what I mean? Kind of, you know, maybe for lunch, just like kind of, block those noises out a little bit more of, of all realms. You know what I mean? That, that could be helpful to, for growth in contemplation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, kind of continuing with the point a little bit, um, the fool for Christ thing. So there's a strange paradox is that 
the way you are successful in the world the, the, is often through hard work and discipline, right? And skill and, and talent. But that can actually thwart you from entering into the heart because the dying to self requires a humbling that's somewhat mysterious, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that that's like the, 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 where he talks about the wisdom of this age can't understand this, where the mm-hmm. lowly can. And the people, yeah. And it's, and it's almost like a twisting of reality. So, cause we are just talking about discipline and hard work, you know, for Christ yeah. and then, but also, but the wor- world takes that reality and kind of twists it and makes it work t- for it. Right. Yeah. So it, yes, it still takes hard work. Yes. It still takes discipline, you know, and, and knowledge, but it mm-hmm. uses that energy and that, you know, everything that that you know comes from that towards the end ends that are in the world not towards the ends that are you know in heaven absolutely so, absolutely. so that's what that's where i mean does. yeah and going back to, going back a little bit um you talk about how the yeah, towards uh yeah moving that energy towards to, to to ends that are not the infinite end um this is where sometimes when people get into reform and they say if we just reform all of the exteriors that suddenly the interior will kind of magically happen and I would say that's generally not the case because I've seen, I've seen examples where pastors will really harp on reforming a parish in the exteriors. See, I think I've been fortunate. I've seen in my diocese, I've seen traditionalists who've sunk parishes. I've seen liberals who sunk parishes, which is kind of interesting. Both sides, both extremes, people really don't like. Because um, even in some of our parishes where you think they might be open to ultra liberal and people were quite angry about it. Um, and a lot of times the quality I think that leads to flourishing in a parish is often, um, the voice of the shepherd and kind of, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's tough because until somebody's experienced it, cause I've been pretty fortunate. I feel like I've effectively worked within a few situations to reform a parish in small ways. Um, mm-hmm. through emphasizing prayer, right. um, even like I didn't change, I've never changed music, never, right. like I've never had a huge liturgical uh, agenda. I, mean, I think a lot of it has to do with discernment, you know, mm-hmm. but discernment comes after learning prayer and being deeper in prayer, but, but really n- not having to change big things and just really working on that little, it's a big thing, but it's, it's much smaller of a movement but all with a lot of grace, right? So people are connecting with God personally and then being able to discern what they need to do, you know, and then parish lay leaders discern what they need to do and you can discern what you need to do. And it all comes together more naturally, more grace-filled. And then the other things can follow, you know, if if they need to be fixed or whatever. But Absolutely. So. Um, right, let's get into the gospel. Yep. Yeah, no comments. So, gospel time. Gospel Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. Then someone strikes you on your right cheek. Turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to the law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles. 
give one give to the one who asks of you and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your heavenly father for he makes his son rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you what recompense will you have do not the tax collectors do the same and if you greet though greet your brothers only what unusual what is unusual about that do not the pagans do the same so be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect okay Oops. So a few things, the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth are restrictions on um, retaliation for bad things that happen, not necessarily a law of you have to do this. Well, the, the, well it was general value of principle of, right. of justice in that in the value of justice in the Old Testament, there was a common practice in the Near East that if you like, if you killed my wife or if you killed my servant, I would come and wipe out your whole household. Right. So it's, it's an even, an yeah. even uh, keel for just, you know, giving just to something, someone who has wronged you. Yeah. Um, so, so he's really saying like that is, that's no longer. Yeah. Um, Cause the big thing is, is you even encounter this honor killings and things like that. When you, when you hurt somebody's honor that they they go and they, they go crazy and they, they do way more than, right. And that was, and that's, you see that a lot in the old Testament where somebody's dishonored and they just, wipe out the whole village or something right right um but really that what we need to do is turn the other cheek which sometimes i think has been taken as to be weak and to Mm -hmm. to just allow people to walk all over them and i don't think that that's the correct reading of this i really think it's a it's a specific form of meekness really about allowing one to um recognize the reality that they're dealing with. You know what I mean? Like giving in an excess to the point where they realize that they're being ridiculous. You know what I mean? I have a a running theory on this. (laughs) This is my own idea. And you heard it here first. Um, It's uh, a principle that comes, there's a lot of sources for this. I'm going to flesh out my own ideas versus trying to do like an academic, here are the sources, here where I'm getting things from. But just trust me, there are sources. Just trust me on that. Um, is that scripture in a certain sense is a kind of spiritual exercise, a kind of thought experiment. So it's not like Jesus clearly, you know, there's that line from the Psalms, be not like a horse and mule, unintelligent, needing bridle and bit. There's a certain liberty with our decisions that God is pleasing, that we've internalized the law and we understand who God is and flowing from that is our actions. That's discernment. So there's not a correct answer written in the Bible for every action. We have, to, we have to turn inwards and connect with the still presence of God. So in that sense, Jesus is not saying that every time somebody hits you, you have to literally turn the other cheek. It's like a thought experiment. You run through it. Are you willing to? Are you able to? Like, and, and, and it kind of illuminates your heart so that you're, you, you understand that principle and, and you kind of work through it a little bit. Because your first reaction when you hear that is like, oh, heck no, I'm going to hit the guy. But, and there might be situations where justice or whatever calls for different actions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not in every, it's not like he's creating a new law that in every situation in which you are being hit, you must absolutely 100% turn the other cheek. 
And if you don't, then that's just not how that's, he's not establishing a new rule. Right. That goes beyond. It's just not, you don't, you don't um, respond with, you know, anger. You you don't allow yourself to sin in that way. Well, but the thing is, even that is, that's a problem because Jesus himself responds with anger, right? When he overturns the temple. Yeah, but not when he was hit. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the thing is, is, is this more the thought experiment and to come to the place of mm-hmm. freedom? Because whenever you, when actually, whenever you're responding to things, mm-hmm. this is kind of a Thomistic kind of um, anthropology. Your emotions are always moving you to do things. The problem is when your emotions are disordered. So like if you're fighting against evil, it is always in a certain sense, anger or, or hatred because you're fighting against an evil. But when it rises to the level that it blinds your reason, that's, and that's what most of us would recognize as like mm-hmm. anger is more like when it blinds our reason. Right. Um, but and the emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And is, I think that the, what I'm, I guess what the way that I'm seeing it is just like not being provoked to, to that level. You know what I mean? Yeah. If somebody hits you, not being provoked. If somebody makes you, cause at that time, um, the Romans could make someone walk a mile carry their stuff for a mile you know what i mean so that's that was relevant at that time so then they would carry it for two you know what i mean to not just not be provoked by the demands of others and by the the way that people you know put their you know their anger or well, you know, what their yeah, needs are yeah instead of like a little make it a little bit more concrete let's go through three circumstances so the first one is somebody insults you at a party do you lose your cool or whatever? Do you flip out and hit them? Right. That's where obviously, okay, no, like you need to be a little bit in control and calm and be the one in control. Take a second one. So, um, you know, if they press you for one mile, go two miles with them. Take like a civil disobedience with, which was very effective for the civil rights movement. Very well done with sitting at the countertops and things like that. In a certain sense, they're not turning the other cheek. They're standing firm. In a sense, they kind of are, but it's a good discernment from a place of freedom. Mm-hmm. Then imagine the third, that you're a soldier in a combat zone. Well, you're not going to necessarily turn your other cheek. If somebody fires a bullet at you, you're going to shoot and kill them. But the, the, where this teaching would apply is that it comes from a place of freedom. That like you're, you're overcoming your enemy doesn't, doesn't cloud your reason, right? Mm-hmm. So that you have a burning hatred for them or you demonize them or you go exceed beyond the bounds of your job and you start, you know, killing innocent people or something, whatever might mm-hmm. happen when your high, your reasons hijacked. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think it's, but it's the, the principle that, um, that there's, there's the principle of freedom that comes through the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And it really goes into the, you know, loving your enemy. Um, like you were saying in the at the beginning of the podcast, you're talking about, you know, really, it's not about the warm and fuzzy feelings. It's, and it's not even about liking what they do. So it's yeah. not saying love your enemies mean, it means you have to agree with what they do or even like say that you support it. That's not what it means at all. It means even though if you were even fighting with them, that, that you are able to will their good that you even can pray for the, the will of God in their life. You could pray for their salvation. And I really think that has a lot to do with, you know, the rains and the sun 
that fall on the just and the unjust because we're all called to conversion so that mm-hmm. so that the people can look back on their lives and say you know what i can see god in my life mm-hmm. even though i didn't recognize him he recognized me you know what i mean he was Absolutely. good to me even though i wasn't aware you know what yeah, i mean yeah. i really feel that's like kind that, of the thought experiment yeah that's the thought experiment that leads to that freedom and that mercy and that tenderness um, absolutely. Because we're all called to look back and, and see the hand of God in our lives, even when we weren't faithful, you know, exactly. even when we were the enemy of the people that, that we can look back and say like, Oh my gosh, God was in my life this whole time. You know, like that he made good things happen to me, even though I wasn't good. So I really think that's important that we, that we look at our enemies in that way too. And, and, you know, love your neighbor and your enemies. I think it's GK Chesterton said that Jesus said, love your neighbor and your enemies. Cause sometimes they're the same people. <laughs> yeah. so. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, the way I was thinking about it before is so St. Thomas Aquinas, I've never read it specifically this way, but this is the way I'm thinking about these days is I think of kind of three kinds of loves, three levels of love. There's the emotion of love, which is tied with our body. There's a kind of intellectual love where, you know, in a deeper way, the, 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 the we're moved, we're moved towards, the, we're attracted towards that, which is good, true, and beautiful. And then love moves the will, right? And then there's the theological virtue of love, which is tied with this idea of willing the good of another. So we it's only that, possible through grace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the deeper principle of love is where we love our enemies but there is like an overflowing. So um, I think where sometimes people get in trouble is they detach the theological virtue of love from the emotion of love. There is a sense that when we will the good of another and we dig deep and we look past our surface emotions and we choose what's good, it can then overflow and change our emotions. That's often how our emotions are shaped. Not that we control them, but like we're, there's a freedom that develops that we're able to look past our, our emotions. Cause I've realized that a lot of times with people, they base their decisions off of how they feel. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if I feel good about something, it must be true. If I like somebody, they must be good. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just thinking about this and creating some content around this. Like if somebody's nice, we assume they go to heaven. Like apparently most people think there's no nice people in hell it's like, well, I mean, what does nice mean? It means kind of agreeable to you, but nobody's right. agreeable to everybody. Right. Yeah. Or even yeah. just like met, like lukewarm. Lukewarm people can be nice, but, yeah. you know, God will spit them out of his mouth. Like, exactly. you know exactly. what I mean? Like, it's not, it's, that's not the rubric that we're working with, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, I've, I've been surprised. That, I think that's been my biggest surprise as a priest is first of all, I like most people. Like there's all kinds of people who do all kinds of things that I generally disagree with, but I generally find their personalities to be enjoyable to be around, you know? Yeah. But it's like, think like about that. You know, I had that friend. Yeah. We had, we had that friend in college who was like, you know, sleeping around doing drugs and crazy and everybody liked him cause he was kind of jovial, but objectively yeah, yeah. it was kind of probably a bad person. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's, there's, and you can see differences, and but it's also that's also the ability to, you know, hate the sin and love the sinner, and like be able being able to distinguish between the two. Yeah, exactly. So and see, see the, 
the people around you for, you know, ha see them as God sees them God, and love them in that way, you know, and not just in how they are, but also in the, po the possibility of their, of their perfection and willing their perfection too, as, as much as they should will our perfection and we should will, will our own perfection. And would you say that that's something that ties into loving your neighbor as yourself, like wanting perfection for your neighbor as you yeah. should want, you know, because that ties into the be perfect as your Holy Father is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and I think, um, yeah, no, I mean, you want what's best. I mean, you want what's best for people and that's salvation and that's, mm -hmm. which the is. Freedom of the w of will to, to do yeah. the will of the Father. Yeah, which is also sometimes the whole right now with the bumper stickers, you know, love is love and that, you know, it, it, if you point out faults to somebody else, that's hate. It's like, oh, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, so for example, with some of the hot button issues, they say, you know, if you love them, you'll accept them unless the Bible is true and scripture and tradition is true. And if I accept what they're doing, even though I might get along with them, if they burn in hell, I'm not doing what's in their best interest. Right. Yeah. But that's a difficult that's, conversation to have. Yeah. Joe. Especially at the very end, but we don't have any more <laughs> comments. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I actually, I do want to get back into, I think, what I've realized right now is before we can have conversations about some things, we have to reestablish some ideas like heaven, hell, final judgment, like, um, purgatory, purgatory. Yep. Yeah. Like just, there is such a thing as mortal sin. And if you do it, you go to hell, like and it's unrepentant. I had somebody really like those that disturbed them. And they were like, I never heard this before. I went to Catholic schools. And I was like, <laughs> this is just Catholic theology. I didn't even say like what mortal sins. So that's the thing yeah. is like, just say like mortal sins. Like I didn't get into any hot button issues. I just said, hell, mortal sins. If you're not confessing, you're in danger of going to hell. Yeah. 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 But um, Sometimes things just aren't retained too. But that, again, going back, going back to evangelization. No, I, th I think normally people remember the hell thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> True. But, um, but that's where evangelization going back to like low hanging fruit. I just had this insight the last weekend. If you just consistently teach the truth with gentleness and patience, you know, like, yep. cause now there's a whole generation of kids growing up at St. Peter's and they've heard from father Ian that you go to hell if you don't confess your mortal sins, you know, mm -hmm. not to say that they're all going to stay Catholic, but yeah, hope, we'll hope you can pray for that. <laughs> Yeah. So no more, we don't have any, we don't have any more comments. So um, if you could pray for um, my friend, my friends, um, Jen and Aaron, they lost their son uh, this weekend and their daughter is in critical condition from being mm -hmm. hit by a car after leaving school on Friday. So it's, oh, it's really tragic. It's, yeah. You mentioned that in the, yeah. I'm praying for so, that. Thank you. What are their names again? <laughs> The kids, uh, the little boy who died, his name's Alex, and the little girl who's still in critical condition is Charlotte. Alex and Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we'll pray for Ash Wednesday coming up and for Lent. Um, and there's a few people in the hospital. So then, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, I pray in a special way for our parishioners at St. Peter's and E.C. Newman, those who are struggling, those who are suffering, those who are in the hospital. I pray for Charlotte and Alex, for the repose of the soul of Alex, for Charlotte for healing.
for healing for their parents, that, that God's mercy may touch them. And we just pray in a special way for all those who hate and persecute the church, that we, we, we may show the love of Christ to them and be a con- firm, consistent uh, witness to the truth. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. So take me to the fountain I seek. It's welling up, it's welling up in me. me. Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by A few minutes each day can change your life during Lent. Ave Maria Press offers booklets for daily devotion, reflection, and more from such best-selling authors as Gary Zemak, Greg Kandra, Father Michael White, and Tom Corcoran, and so many more. Looking for Stations of the Cross booklets or books that are perfect for small groups? We have those too. Head over to AveMariaPress.com and use code LENT20 to get 20% off your order today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees, available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Redbox Media. Experience coffee like never before.